0: It's time for Herd Mentality, the weekly episode where you control the discussion today on Locked On Bills. You are Locked On Bills, your daily Buffalo Bills podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. We're part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team, every day. Well, folks, it's time for Herd Mentality. Very excited to get this in. Unfortunately, last week with the condensed week, basically two Bills games, right, Sunday and Thursday, something had to go, and so we pushed Herd Mentality out a week, and so I wanted to start this week with Herd Mentality. A lot of good stuff here about Josh Allen, the Bills offense, some trade ideas, all kinds of stuff. So let's do it. First one comes from Jesse, who says, Josh Allen leads the league in total touchdowns, leads the league in completion percentage, but also has the most interceptions. Seems like the Bills have figured out how to spread the ball around tonight, referring to the Bucs game. Really sucks that specifically Milano got hurt. Trey and Daquan too, of course, because Bernard is bowling. and I think Milano would have had his best season ever. Let's talk about this, the season that Josh Allen is having, and we'll get more into it in the next episode where we do our second quarter report card. But I think there's probably a case to be made that Josh Allen is having or at least is on track to having his best season despite very underwhelming performances in week one against the Jets and week seven against the Patriots. I mean, Josh Allen is currently on pace for the best completion percentage of his career, the most passing yards of his career, and the most touchdowns for his career. He's also fourth lowest in the entire NFL in turnover or the play percentage. The reality is Josh has had bad luck with interceptions. Yeah, I said it. He's had bad luck with interceptions. Every pass that could be intercepted has been intercepted. And we got to be honest, some of those were really good plays by the defense. Go back to week one against the Jets. I know Jordan White had picked off three passes. Those were really good plays that he made in the ball. Some of them down the field. Kyle Fuller in the Washington game. That was one heck of a play that he made to intercept that pass. Tampa Bay, the game we just watched, the ball gets tipped up in the air and intercepted by a defensive lineman. The interception he threw against the Giants, the Micah McFadden pick, it was tipped in the air and barely missed a wide open Dawson Knox before Micah McFadden picked off the ball. The Jacksonville game, the Darius Williams interception was an insane play. Josh launches it way down the field, and Diggs basically pushes the ball into Williams for the pick. I mean, his interception against the Patriots was probably the most ill-advised, the one that Jabril Peppers picked off. But Josh is like literally on pace for one of the best seasons or probably the best season of his career if he keeps it up. His interception percentage is 2.8%. His turnover-worthy play percentage is 2.1%. Like I said, his fourth lowest in the NFL. So while everyone wants to remind you that since whatever time since Josh Allen came to the league, he's got the most turnovers. Yeah, he does, but he also has the most touchdowns, and he also has the offense with the fewest punts. Do we care about that? And this year in particular, honestly, he's had more bad luck with turnovers than anything. Literally any pass that could be intercepted has been intercepted. And again, his turnover-worthy play percentage, 2.1%, fourth lowest in the entire NFL. I know that Doesn't mesh with the narratives out there, but it's the reality of the situation. Next one comes from Mike. Mike says, Josh seems to not be doing well this year against the Blitz. I think you've shared some numbers that back that up. This is a pretty drastic change from a couple of years ago. I remember Baltimore, one of the most Blitz happy defenses in the league, completely changing their game plan and blitzing once or twice in the whole game in the playoffs because it was such a dangerous thing to Blitz him. Now it seems to be the team's preferred method of attack. What are you seeing on tape that explains this? What is he not doing now that he was doing then against the Blitz? So I want to clarify here. The Bills' offense has certainly had some challenges against defenses that are traditionally Blitz-aggressive, but that said, I wouldn't say that Josh Allen specifically is struggling against the Blitz. Now he certainly did against New England in terms of identifying where those rushers were going to be and working away from protections. Like, that's very, very true. But in totality this year, the Bills' offense has struggled more against blitz-aggressive defenses than Josh Allen specifically has against the blitz. I hope that distinguishment makes sense because statistically, Josh Allen is among the best quarterbacks in the entire league in the NFL against the blitz. When he's blitzed this year, and he's been blitzed a fair amount, seventh most blitz quarterback in the league right now in terms of frequency he's got a 104.4 passer rating which is sixth best in the league seven touchdown passes against the blitz which is third best a completion percentage of 67.7 percent against the blitz which is sixth best and 7.7 yards per attempt which is seventh best so he's in the top 25 percent of the league in those major categories against the blitz now what you may be thinking of is in 2022 this was a major problem for Josh Allen, is something I talked a lot about in my yearly performance review series, something we do every year at the end of the season. I go position by position, and we break down every player and just really kind of review everything about that position group. And the Blitz, and performing well against the Blitz, was a problem for Josh Allen. He was actually towards the bottom of the league in a lot of major categories, 30th in passer rating, 23rd in yards per attempt, 28th in completion percentage against the Blitz. So that was definitely an issue last year. And while the Bills' offense certainly hit a lull against Blitz-aggressive defenses, it hasn't necessarily been Josh Allen's results throwing the football against the Blitz, if that makes sense. I hope that distinguishment makes sense to you. Next one here comes from Alex, who says, it was good to see the offense get off to a much faster start against the Bucs, but they stalled out and put up no points over the final 25 minutes of the game. What do you attribute those stalled drives to? Execution, predictable or conservative play calling, I'm wondering what our offense can do to stop falling into these ruts for multiple drives in a row every game. It's a good question, Alex, and I'm I'm happy to talk about this and probably something I should have talked about on the All-22 review. I mentioned it, right? I said, hey, they definitely stalled out. I, I acknowledge it, but I didn't get into the why. And so let's take a look at that. The Bills scored 24 points, and this is referring to the Buccaneers game, 24 points in the first six drives, zero on the last four. And so let's let's look at those end-of-drive moments in those last four and figure out if we can find some trends. So drive one, the Bills get to a second and five at the plus 49. Two incomplete passes in a row to Diggs before they punt, and both of those passing attempts were reasonable chances for Diggs to come down with a catch, but he didn't gain enough separation at the catch point. And so you throw two incomplete passes in a row, fourth and five, you punt the ball. And so, all right, you went to your best player twice, and you couldn't get a connection, and both throws were beyond the sticks. You weren't able to hook up on a, on a completion to your best player, punt the ball, drive two. you get down to a second and one at the plus thirty nine. It's that funky situation where it's the last snap of the third quarter and the Bills are trying to get the other team to go off sides. Right. They do this all the time and sometimes it works. I know some people get all mad and weird about it. Sometimes it works and it's very much worth it. This is one of the times where that kind of bitch bitchy in the butt because it's that last snap of the third quarter. You think they're off sides. Mitch Moore snaps the ball, and it's really just a broken play. Nobody is ready for the play to happen. Josh Allen takes a 10 yard loss on a sack. So you go from second and one to third and 11. And your, your play on third down is a completion for only seven yards to Stefan Diggs. You punt the ball. So that second to one into third and 11 miscue cost you. Drive three, it's first and 10 from the Bills 49. One yard completion to Diggs on first down incomplete pass to Gabe Davis the pass was deflected at the line on second down you get a third and nine you hit Dalton Kincaid for seven yards who almost spinned out of the tackle attempt but couldn't fourth down you punt it drive four you're milking milking clock right you're trying to get two first downs to close out the game you get one and on third and two after you get that first down you run it with Latavius Murray you get one yard and you punt it and so it's not that they weren't being aggressive every single one of these situations multiple incomplete passes Two incomplete passes on second and third down to Diggs on the first one. On the last one, you're trying to get yourself in a situation where you take advantage of an end of quarter se- sequence and it doesn't work out. You threw the ball short of the sticks. Drive three, you get down there, only one yard to Diggs, incomplete to Dave Davis, not enough on third down. So you just came up a little short on all three of those drives and the game got unnecessarily close because of it. And so that's what happened, right? You just. Situational stuff came up and you, you, couldn't, you couldn't get one more fresh set of downs in those situations to get yourself a little closer to a field goal or you know maybe even extend the drive even further and score a touchdown. So that's, that's it. That's, that's how it happens. All right, our partners over at eBay Motors have teamed up with Locked On Fantasy Football host Vinny Heyer to bring you some of the best fantasy picks each week all season long. So whether you're prepping for a daily draft Where you're scouting the waiver wire, every week we're going to provide you with players that are guaranteed to fit on your roster. So let's see who Vinny has picked out for us on this week's eBay's Guaranteed Fit Fantasy Picks of the Week. Bills rookie tight end Dalton Kincaid is emerging right before our eyes. Over the last two games, Kincaid has stepped up for the Bills offense in a big way and should continue to have even more opportunity with Dawson Knox on injured reserve. The Bills play next Sunday night in Cincinnati in a critical AFC matchup, and Josh Allen will continue to lean on Kincaid, which will be to the delight of fantasy owners. Vinny Ayer from Locked On Fantasy Football is going to help you win your fantasy championship, and eBay Motors knows a championship team is about each player being a perfect fit. Same with your vehicle. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you can make sure your ride stays running smoothly. Brake kits, LED headlights, roof rack, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it, and... With eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber and not cash. So keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. eBay Guaranteed Fit, only available to U.S. customers. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. The next one here comes from Adam. Adam says, with the trade deadline looming and a lot of people thinking that Bean may make a move or two, I'm curious if you think tight end is something they could look into. I know the idea is that Knox will be back, but if he doesn't, they would be light at tight end, especially with Morris dealing with some injuries as well. So I understand the question here. It's getting thin for sure. That said, I do think that Quentin Morris is probably one or two weeks away from playing at most, and Dawson Knox is probably going to come back after his four weeks on the injured reserve, especially with the bye kind of close within there as well. And so there's light at the end of the tunnel as it relates to the tight end position for me. Now, if you're going to be giving up assets to help your football team right now, I find myself much more concerned about uh, linebacker and cornerback, where you have this Tyrell Dotson slash Jordan Poyer, bring in Taylor Rapp situation at linebacker. And then at corner, what do you have, right? It's, I, I'm, if you told me Christian Benford and Dane Jackson were the corners, that would be Okay. Certainly an opportunity to upgrade there, and you're, you're not getting anything from Kyer Elam. Obviously, the team just does not trust him whatsoever. I don't really want to see Josh Norman playing. And so that's where if I'm making a move and I'm Brandon Bean, I'm thinking linebacker. I'm thinking corner. And then I would probably think about interior defensive line. But there are some free agent options there that stand out to me that intrigue me a little bit. So I hear you on the tight end thing. I think there's light at the end of the tunnel. I would be much more concerned about linebacker, corner, interior, defensive line if I were going to be parting with assets to help this year's football team. Justin says, I'm sure fans will cry more 11 personnel after the Bucks game, but how do you compare 12 personnel to 11 personnel so far this year? 12 personnel seems effective and good so far. I think the lack of execution with most was most of the problem the last few weeks in 12 personnel. When fully healthy at 12 personnel, they should run it again, at a high rate. So good question here. I have some thoughts on this. I think one thing we have to keep in mind, and maybe some of us are forgetting, is that things take time in the NFL. That was a pretty substantial overhaul uh, in terms of what the structure and foundation of your offense is going to be. And I spent several episodes this offseason talking about the benefits of 12 personnel, and all of that's still true. Nothing's different there about the benefits of 12 personnel. And the sample size of 12 personnel that we have, it comes during a time where the player who invoked the shift, Dalton Kincaid, was still in their first six NFL games. And the vet tight end in the room was playing through a significant wrist injury there for the last couple. And so it takes time. You're onboarding a rookie and your vet has a significant wrist injury. And so if anything, I think it speaks to a need for more balance between 11 personnel and 12 personnel. It doesn't have to be one or the other. You're going to get over 60 snaps a week, sometimes 70, 80, 90 snaps a week. You can do plenty of both. And so I love the idea of what 12 personnel brings, but I also love Josh Allen spreading the ball, you know, spreading the field out with 11 personnel and taking advantage of things that way. I think you can do both and you have the personnel to do both. So do both. The one thing that I, I couldn't help but notice against Tampa was Gabe Davis kind of being right back in that spot that he was last year, attached to formations, having to be a play side inside insert blocker going in there and, you know, having to do some dirty work as a blocker. You'd rather that be Dawson Knox, right? So there's, there's benefits to both do both. I think it's that simple. Do both. It doesn't have to be one or the other. There's so much that you can get out of both personnel groupings. I'd have a heavy dose of both personnel groupings every single week. Mark says, so happy to see the impact Kincaid can bring to this offense and just the beginning of what is to come. His ability to catch and turn down the field is incredible. It's also nice to see Dorsey mixing up Gabe's role and not using him just up the, uh, just open up the field. While it's obvious he's not a separator, he runs hard with the ball in his hands. The increased role for Shakir feels like a long time coming. I knew he would take time to develop, but I was getting worried we were at a point where he may not be developing into an impact player that we hoped. However, when he has his opportunities, he's been electric with the ball in his hands. That all being said, if Josh is able to continue incorporating three to four guys in the passing game in a meaningful way, what does that mean for Dawson Knox's role when he returns from injured reserve and the Bills' plans for 12 personnel? So, you know how I feel about uh Khalil Shakir. Uh, he was my big argument this entire past offseason against the Bills having to pick a wide receiver early in the 2023 draft. And I think the recent struggles of Dawson Knox playing through the wrist injury has severely skewed the reality of what Knox has been and who he can be for this offense. I mean, Dawson in 2021 and 2022 He delivered 18 touchdown receptions, 18, 24 touchdown receptions since the start of 2020. There's room for Dawson Knox to matter in this offense. And I know the drops were frustrating this year, and I understand the expectations that come with his contract, but let's not let the small sample size while playing through injury and your appetite for more Kincaid and more Shakir completely skew our perspective of Dawson Knox, and I'm not saying that you're doing that, Mark, but I'm just trying to add some some thoughts to this general question. And there's plenty of people out there that are just done with Dawson Knox, want to send him to the moon. All right, and I'm not I'm not there at all. I still think he's a meaningful player. And here's here's the reality of the situation. There's no reasonable opportunity for the Bills to get out of Dawson Knox's contract before 2025, so he's going to be around for a little bit here. And so there's. There's it's not this isn't like uh you can find a way to get him going, right? Like he's proven throughout the last three years of what he can do for this offense. Get him back in healthy and get him back into helping the Bills football team without having to make tough contested catches with a broken wrist, right? I mean, I think there's you you just think in your mind so many big moments. Dawson Knox was on the other side of the ball game-winning touchdown against the Chiefs in Kansas City last year playoff touchdowns right late season touchdown streaks I mean there's room for Dawson Knox and the reality is the Bills don't have any real opportunity to get out of that deal before 2025. Brian says hey Joe would you be able to explain how practice squad call-ups work specifically what occurs when a player is called up a third time and not signed assuming the Bills would have to drop the player but is it possible to resign that player and reset the call-up counter? If yes, is there a waiting period before the team uh, for the player can be resigned and/or the reset call-up counter? When a player is plucked from the practice squad, is the only way for a new team to do so is by signing them to their active roster. And finally, while the number of players that can be on the practice squad per team has gone up, has the number of protected players also gone up? All right, so let's deliver some key details here about practice squad elevations and all of that. So Every week, two players can be elevated from the practice squad, and those decisions can be announced as late as 90 minutes before the kickoff. A player can be elevated three times per season from the practice squad. That's it. To be activated a fourth time, the player must be signed to the regular roster. I talked to Greg Thompson to confirm this, but there is no reset call up on the, there is no reset on the call-up counter right it's three times per season and after that they either must stay on the active roster or stay on the practice squad that's it and so yes the only way for a team to prevent a player from being plucked off the practice squad is uh for that team to sign them to their active roster or you can sign them to your active roster or that player would have to decline the move which would be unprecedented so if if the bills if some team if the Carolina Panthers wanted to sign whatever player off the Bills practice squad. We'll call it insert uh, Richard Garage, the offensive tackle. Richard Garage would have to be signed to the Panthers active roster. The Bills could sign him to their own active roster, or Richard Car- Richard Garage could say, "No, I'm not signing." I, they can't force him, right? Like he can't say he can say, "No, I'm not signing" to the Carolina Panthers. And also, there are no longer any protected practice squad players. That that is not a thing that exists anymore. So hopefully, that provided some of the key details that people were looking for. And there's players that are kind of up against this. I mean, the Bills have called up Jamarcus Ingram several times this year. They've called up Kendall Vickers. So this is coming into play right now for the Buffalo Bills, folks. I am obsessed with DoorDash. The convenience is simply unmatched, especially in my busy life. We're all busy, right? We're all trying to figure out when we can get to the grocery store. We're all trying to figure out what's for dinner, and sometimes that can be frustrating. Well, DoorDash is here to help from, help you. They can bring you groceries. They can bring you your favorite food from your favorite local restaurants. In fact, I love doing that. We've got this place down the street from me called uh, Afton Tavern, and they have really good food. They actually have a buffalo chicken wrap that I absolutely love. Uh, they also have this balsamic chicken uh, that I'm a big fan of, and I can get that dropped off right at my front door through DoorDash. And I love the consistency of DoorDash. They bring me what I want, exactly like I picked it up for myself, even groceries. So check it out. Stop worrying about what's for dinner. Stop worrying about what you're going to snack on. Stop worrying about when you're going to get to the grocery store and let DoorDash handle that for you. Get 50% off up to a $10 value when you spend $15 or more on your first order. When you download the DoorDash app and enter code LOCKED23, subject to change, terms apply. Don't forget to use code LOCKED23 for 50% off up to a $10 value when you first order on DoorDash and download the app and spend $15 or more. Subject to change, terms apply. Bill's Mafia, let's get personal for a minute. Has anyone been caught skinny dipping? You know what I mean, when you dip your tortilla chip just barely enough to get a dab of salsa on it. It's okay, we've all been there, and sometimes it's just not your fault. Most tortilla chips, they can't even handle a chunky dip without breaking right in half. But those days, they're over, and it's time to say goodbye to skinny dipping And hello to Chunky Dunking, because Zach's Mighty Tortilla Chips are literally made to dip. They're sturdy and strong enough to handle the heftiest dips of guac, all seven layers of dip, and every last chunk in that salsa. So say goodbye to skinny dipping and hello to Chunky Dunking with Zach's Mighty Tortilla Chips, available at Wegmans in the chip aisle. Zach's Mighty Tortilla Chips, equipped to dip. The next one here comes from Paul, who says, do you think the Bills should or could trade Gabe Davis for a quality linebacker, defensive backer, defensive tackle? I think his shelf life has expired, but it will be quite hard to trade a captain. Have the Bills ever traded a captain? No, I don't think the Bills should be thinking about trading Gabe Davis. I don't. From a roster management perspective, you have to look at players, you have to look at draft picks, cap space as assets, and through that, ask yourself the question, how can I best maximize that asset? And so if I'm thinking of Gabe Davis as an asset and how the Bills can get the most out of him, I find that to be playing for the Bills for the remainder of the season. Even if I'm not completely in love with his skill set, he still fills an important role for this team as a number two receiver. And I don't see another legit outside number two receiver on this roster. And so I think continuing to fill his role is the best way the Bills can get value out of Gabe Davis. I I wouldn't create a hole, right? I'm not going to trade Gabe Davis and deplete my wide receiver core and a guy that has four years with Josh Allen that has had production to bring in a linebacker or corner or defensive tackle. I'm going to invest different resources to bring me those things that I need. It won't be Gabe Davis. And, And that's coming from a guy who doesn't love Gabe Davis. So there you go. Next one here is from Aiden, who says, looking ahead to free agency, AJ Epinesa and Gabe Davis are free agents this offseason. So what I was wondering is, what are your price points for both players personally? For me, it's $9 million a year for Epinesa and maybe $10.5 a year for Gabe Davis. If they want more than that, I don't think I'm willing to do that personally. What do you think? So without getting into a deep discussion on the merits and opportunity cost of re-signing either player, and we certainly have a half a season to go, right? There's more information coming, but just like right now, I would want Gabe in the $12 million average annual value range. That would kind of be like my, my ceiling with him. I think about what Alan Lazard signed for, Jacoby Myers, right? That's kind of my ballpark um, where I would project a fair deal for Gabe Davis. And rack has him at $11.2 million right now, his market value. So I, I'm thinking my cap there is 12. For Epinesa, I think that's in the 8 to $10 million a year range. It's kind of an interesting thing with Epinesa. He's 25 years old. Certainly the last two years have been good, but he's still not like necessarily a high volume snap guy. Like right now, I couldn't believe it. he was fourth. He was fourth last week against the Bucs in snaps at defensive end. I'll be honest with you. I think he should be third. I think he's more deserving of snaps than Von Miller right now. And hopefully that changes, but you know he's still not even a 50% player and i know that that speaks to the bill's style and stuff like that but is the production in the small sample size something that is translatable over a bigger sample size or does do the bills get the most out of him in a you know kind of a condensed role it's kind of a tough question for me to answer so i kind of find that 8 to 10 million range to be the sweet spot. Now the thing is like he has six and a half sacks last year. He's, he's on pace for more this year. He has the interception, right? He's making splash plays. So you wonder if somebody's going to pay for that. Is somebody going to push 12, 13 million a season. I'm not sure to me, the most logical range is eight to 10. Jesse says, admittedly, admittedly, I don't know much about prof- the professional history of successful offensive coordinators. How typical is it to have an offensive coordinator who came up as a successful college quarterback? Is there a more typical career progression or one that seems more indicative of success? Also, if the Bills do move on from Dorsey this season, is there anyone from outside the organization you think the Bills should be targeting? So there are some NFL offensive coordinators that were successful college quarterbacks, but there are all types of paths. There's no no like, you did this in your background, and that means you're going to be a successful offensive coordinator. And you look throughout the good offensive coordinators in the league, and you have a wide range of backgrounds that have led to them being a a good coordinator. There's not a, get a guy with this background and they're going to be great. You've seen plenty of flops from every type of background. You've seen plenty of success from every type of background, including guys that never played. And people love Mike McDaniel. You think that guy didn't play quarterback? You know, (laughs) Sean McVay was a wide receiver. Some guys don't even play, right? So I don't, there's no hey, they did these things in their background. They're going to be a good NFL offensive coordinator. And if the Bills do move on from Ken Dorsey, which I am not expecting, I think they look at Joe Brady to be the successor, right? William and Mary guy. You know that always matters to Sean McDermott. You feel like Joe Brady and Josh Allen have a good relationship. You know Josh Allen's is going to have say in this. I think Joe Brady is the guy that you look at. As far as outside options, right now it's impossible to know who's going to be available. But I I would guess that offensive coordinating for Josh Allen would be pretty attractive for anybody, whether it's a young hotshot or some guy that shouldn't be out there. So I don't know. I'm not anticipating Ken Dorsey not being the Bills' offensive coordinator beyond this year. If for some reason that was the case, I'd be looking at Joe Brady. But I think regardless, the Bills should have a lot of appeal to anybody looking for an offensive coordinator job right? It's Josh Allen's a quarterback. So, but at the end of the day, I don't think Ken Dorsey's going anywhere. All right, folks, that's it for today here on the podcast. Excited about our next conversation. It will either be a trade deadline reaction, right? Cause who knows, who knows what's going to happen to the trade deadline? Well, obviously something goes down we'll talk about it or our second quarter report card, where if you go back to what we did after the first quarter, we'll do the same thing and measure the growth from quarter one to quarter two or lack thereof and then of course we're getting into our Bengals prep later in the week so don't miss anything make sure that you're subscribed we'd love it if you took a second to rate review and share the podcast have a great rest of your day go bills and i look forward to catching up with you again tomorrow